for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you from the subject, who can make it in? Uh, who can make it in? Do me a favor and look at the person beside you, closest to you, and ask them, can you make it in? Are you, are, are you going to make it in? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Who can make it in? I want to draw your attention to two particular questions in this passage. They are very similar questions uh, given by two different people. And, and one of the things that I wanted to do or as I was studying this passage is I was kind of forced to ask myself, which, which character in this particular story do I closely and most likely relate to? And so I want to I take just a few minutes today and kind of explain the story, pull out a few points that really help us in this, in this, in this hot summer, summer Sunday morning um, to see and, and really to kind of ask this question, who can make it in? Because that's the question that the disciples ask at the end of this discussion, but it's similar to the question that the rich young ruler asked early in this particular story, because this story really is, is it begins with that question. The rich young ruler, and we know this story, most of us who've been in Sunday school, we, we, we know this story, and some of you can probably tell it better than I can, and he asked this, the question to Jesus, and I'm going to come back to it, and he says, listen, I want to go to heaven. I want, I want heaven to be my home. I want to have eternal life. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And and before I get too deep into the narrative, I really want to take a look at that question because that's really the most important question that any of us ought to be asking. It is an important question that all of us are to be asking, no matter what time of day it is, no matter what time of year it is, no matter what our social status is, all of us are, are asking the question in one way or another how do I go to heaven? How do I make heaven my home? I, I know if you're a believer, you know that you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And the question begs, where am I going to spend eternity? We know that we want to spend eternity in heaven, but the question is less to do with what you want. The question really is, who can make it in? How do I make that happen? How do I ensure that, that, that I make heaven my home? And so this particular rich young ruler is, is, has a really good question. It's a question that all of us can really relate to. And that's, that's one of the characters that I thought that I related to was this rich young ruler till I dug a little deeper into this, the, this narrative. I realized I don't necessarily relate to this rich young ruler as much as I thought I did. But maybe there's somebody here who can identify with this. This rich young ruler. Number one, he's rich. Number one, he's rich. I know some of y'all are rich. Most of y'all are probably rich. In fact, if I'm honest, if I'm really going to be like 100 today, all of us relatively are rich. Lord have mercy. Y'all don't want to claim being rich. I'm claiming I'm rich. I almost went Dave Chappelle on him. I'm, I'm rich. And so, so, uh, <laughs> Went way left. I told you almost. Thank the mighty name of Jesus. I didn't go too far with it, but I'm rich. I, we, we have to accept the fact that when we put our resources in relativity to other people in the world, by most standards, we are rich. In fact, most everybody in America is, is rich, is rich. In fact, even by America's standards, most of us, if we make more than about $1,250 an hour, we are, are considered to be above the poverty line. But our poverty line line is a wealthy line in most other countries. 
So, so, so we're rich. We're rich in our own right. It's relative. Some of us have more money than our parents did. Some of us have, have more money at this place and this juncture in our professional careers than we ever did. And we're able to move like we want to move and do what we want to do and buy what we want to buy. And so by all intensive purposes, we, we're, we're rich. We have the amount of resources that we want to live the kind of life that we want to live. Now, we don't always make the best decisions with our resources, but truth be told, if we all made the right decisions with the resources that we have, we would all show enough be rich. But he's described as a rich, as a rich, a rich young ruler. And so he comes to Jesus in verse number 16. And, and, and I want to suggest to you that this man uh, makes, makes four mistakes in his quest of getting an answer to this question, who can make it in? Where can I spend eternity? He wants to go to heaven. I believe in his heart he wants to go to heaven, but, but he makes four mistakes in trying to ascertain what it really takes in order to make heaven his home. And I think there's going to be something that's going to help us. Can I, give them, can I give them to you real quickly? Okay, all right, let me give them to you real quickly. The first mistake that he made is he made the mistake in, in his approach to who Jesus was. Look at it in verse 16. He says, and one came to him and said, good master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And how would I know that he made a mistake? Because Jesus responds and says that there is none good but God. But how many of y'all know that, that John has already taught us in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. There was nothing made that was made that was not made by Him. And that same Word in verse 14 became flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. In essence, John teaches us that Jesus is God. Jesus knows he's God, but this rich young ruler approaches him as a good teacher. Jesus walks and steps down to where he, where this, oh Lord have mercy, where this rich young ruler sees him as, and he deals with him on the level that the rich young ruler sees him. The rich young ruler doesn't see him as God, because if he saw him as God, then he would say, God, listen, just take me to heaven. Forget what I have to do. You are the God that created the heavens and the earth. If I knew you were God, I wouldn't ask, can you do stuff? And my Lord have mercy, I'm preaching earlier than I anticipated. If I knew you were God, I wouldn't ask, can you do this? I wouldn't ask, are you able to do this? I would just say, God, show up and do some stuff in my life. But he didn't see him as God. He saw him as a good teacher. And so when you have the wrong perspective as to who God is, you, it, it shifts how you talk to God. It, it changes how you respond to God, and it shifts your perspective of who God is. Because he saw Jesus not as God, but as a good teacher. His first mistake was thinking him as only as a good teacher. And so, so Jesus being who he is, as cold-blooded as he is, He's God. He's more than just a good teacher, but he decides to descend down to the level of this young man and, and deal with him on his level. Because Jesus, oh Lord have mercy, will never leave you where you are. And by your own strength, you can never get to where he is. Lord have mercy. And so in order to get to God, God always has to come down to you. 
and, and but Lord have mercy. I, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm trying not to preach early, but that's some preaching right up in there because we can live all of our life trying to be good if we want to. And please don't get ahead of yourself, Brother Moss. But the truth be told, we will never be good enough to stand in the presence of God. But I'm glad that when we couldn't get to him through Jesus, he came to us. He came to us. He came to us. <laughs> he came to us. And he, he, he decides to deal with this rich young ruler on his terms. And so Jesus says, there's none but good but God. He says, but if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. His second, his second or, or listen to how he responds to verse 18. He says, well, which ones? How arrogant is that to say uh, all you got to do is just keep the commandments? He says, well, <laughs> well which commandments are you, are you talking about? I mean, that's, that's easy. Then Jesus goes through and he names the, the different commandments. And listen to the rich young ruler's response in verse 20. He says, young man, uh, he says, I've, I've kept all of these since I was a kid. He says, I've kept all of these since I was a kid. The second mistake that he made was uh, uh, he thought that the way to eternal life could be earned by his works. And, and, and so what Jesus is getting ready to do is to show him that even if you think that eternal life is earned by your works, no matter how good your works are, all of us are going to be missing something. And he does this so beautifully. Man, I wish I had time. Let me just take the time to go ahead and outline this thing because it's so good. Because he says, how can I get eternal life? And, and he says, listen, keep these commandments. And now watch what Jesus does when he tells him to keep the commandments in verse 18. I'm going to have to leave my notes for a moment because this, this is so good. In, in verse 18, he says, don't commit murder. Do y'all see it? He says, don't commit adultery. He says, don't steal and he says, don't bear false witness. He says, honor your father and your mother and, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, so he gives us, us uh, five of the commandments from the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments were the first Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And these were the commandments that were to be given to the people that would, that would govern the people of God. It was, it was a new law, a new system of, of government that, that the people of God would, from this moment on, live under. And, and there were so, a lot more commandments after these ten, but all of the commandments after the ten stem from those first ten commandments. And the ones that Jesus pointed out, he didn't go and give them all 10, but he says, um, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you notice the difference between these six commandments and the first four commandments, the first four commandments are commandments that deal between us or humanity and God. Don't worship no other God. I'm a jealous God. Um, uh, don't, don't make no goat, no image. Don't worship no images. Don't put any God before me. Love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, right? Y'all remember that? And these other commandments really dealt with how, uh, what our relationship is like with other people. 
And so in that sense, God almost puts um, our love for him uh, very close proximity or our love for him is often demonstrated through our love for other people. Lord have mercy. I'm preaching, right? He says the first half of the Ten Commandments is I want to teach and train you how to love me. He says, but it's possible for you to love me um, in your heart and nobody know it. He says, but I've created your neighbor and they are created in my image. And so a way that you love me is by loving your neighbor as yourself. And the way that you show your love, by, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, not by the love you have for the Lord, but by the love you have one for another. And so what Jesus is, is really kind of backing this brother into a corner. He's saying, yeah, you've kept a lot of these commandments, but, but, but there are some commandments that I need you to, to, really, to really challenge yourself to see whether or not you're really keeping them. Because just because you, you've, you show up to church on Sundays, that's not the end of you keeping the commandments. In fact, that's just the getting, you're just getting started. Just because you got a good prayer life, just because you study your Bible from time to time, he's saying that if you try to love God and not love people better than you love yourself, he says you're missing the commandments. I remember later on when Jesus is, is being challenged by uh, some Pharisees and they were trying to catch him in a bind. They said, what are the greatest, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus says, well, you know, the greatest commandment is, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And then he says, but the second is just like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. But then I like what he says. He says, on these two, on these two Hold all the laws and all the prophets, meaning everything that you see is hinged between you loving God and loving your neighbor. And, and we often can express our love to God, catch this, by loving our neighbor just as much, if not more, than we love ourselves. Okay? So, 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 so bring all of that back to the text Because the rich young ruler responds in verse number 20 saying that I've kept all of these things since I was a young. He says, what am I still lacking? The third mistake that he made was the mistake of self-righteousness. He says, I've dotted every I and I've crossed every T. I've done all of that. There's his unwillingness to admit that, that he does not have it all together. His unwillingness to think and that, 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 that just because he d- lives a good moral life doesn't mean that he's perfect. It just means that he lives a good moral life. But even in living a good moral life, there are still areas in your life that you can succumb to sin in. And his issue that he had, the third one that he had, was the fact that he refused to acknowledge that there's some need of Jesus in my life. Because if you um, uh, uh, don't ever acknowledge that you have sinned, then in essence you're acknowledging that you don't need Jesus. Because Jesus came to save us from our sins, and if you don't ever acknowledge that you have sin, then you acknowledge that you don't need Jesus. Because what's the point of Jesus dying for your sin if you don't have none? 
Do you understand that self-righteousness is not you trying to to be big and bad in front of everybody and look good in front of everybody? No, self-righteousness is you arrogantly discrediting everything Jesus did on the cross and walking around self-righteously is no better and no worse than verbally being self-righteous. Because truth be told is you might not be able to identify with him verbally saying, I done done everything right, but sometimes we walk around acting as if we've done everything right. You know how we do that. We look at people strange when they come down and, and, and request prayer and say, I've sinned, I've repented of my sin. We look at them strange when they pour their heart out to the Lord. It's only in the church, it seems it's only in the church that we look at people who have sinned and admit that they have sinned and are surprised. Truth be told, all of us every Sunday should be laid out prostrate on this floor begging God to forgive us from something. And if we're not careful, we'll have the same, we'll we'll walk in the same mistake of self-righteousness as this rich young ruler and be talking to Jesus on Sunday morning, asking him to deliver, or or not even ask him to deliver us, but asking him to give us something, and we won't even we even won't even admit that we need him in our life. Isn't it crazy that he's saying, he's coming to Jesus saying, how can I get to heaven? And I want you to tell me a way that doesn't include you. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. The last mistake that he made was at the end. I'll get to that in just a minute. But listen to how Jesus responds or how he responds. He says, I kept all of these. Then Jesus responds in verse number 21. He says, okay. You think you got it all together, your self-righteous self. And I love how Jesus, he's so smooth. He don't even, the rich don't even know. <laughs> he don't even know what's really happening. Because he says, Jesus says, listen, um, uh, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Um, he says, uh, uh, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not less important than stealing. It's not any less important than committing adultery. It's not any less important than the other rules, the other laws. But when Jesus laid out those laws, he says, I've done all of that. Jesus says, okay, well, let me test whether or not you've truly done all of that. So he says, listen, verse 21, I tell you what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell everything that you have. (laughs) If you want to be perfect, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Lord, have mercy. And then come and follow me. And y'all know how the story ends. But the young man heard this saying, and he went away sorrowful because he had what? Great possessions. Lord, have mercy. We can look back retrospectively and see all the issues that he had. But truth be told, oftentimes we're faced with the same thing. We're faced with the same challenges. Jesus is challenging us every day of our life with a very similar challenge. It is not the challenge that you think it is because most of the time when this text is preached, we focus, we zero in on the financial perspective of this. We zero in on Jesus saying that you got to go and sell everything that you have. You need to give more money. You need to give more money. You need to give more money. You need to spend more money. You need to give more money. No, we put too much emphasis. That's part of the principle, but that is not the root principle that he's dealing with here. Jesus says this. Take what you have, go sell it, and give it to the poor. It includes money because money is what he has. And Jesus is dealing with him in his context. It includes money. Now, don't get it twisted. 
It includes money for most of us, too, because we live in a financial context. But it's not the money paper dollar. It's what the money paper dollar represents to us. And it is very well can be the same thing that it represented to him. Because when Jesus says, don't commit adultery, he was good. He says, I only love one woman. She's a beautiful young woman, and I don't want anybody else. My eyes are on her. I'm good with that. When he says, don't steal, I don't steal. I got money to buy what I need. I don't need to steal. When he said, don't uh, bear false witness, I'm a man of my word. That's how I got to where I am. I'm a man of my word. When he says, uh, I love your neighbor, yeah, I say hey to everybody. I'm nice. I'm cordial to people. But when he says, go sell everything that you have, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you're touching on something, Jesus, and Jesus is intentionally touching on something. Can I go ahead and tell you what he's touching on? He's touching on what that money represents in his life. And, and now remember what the main question is, who can make it in? That was part, almost his question. His question was, how do I make it in? Not who can make it in, but how do I get in? And here we are in the middle of the conversation, well, towards the end, actually, and Jesus says, okay, if you want to make it in, go, go get all your, all your stuff, go sell it, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And then he says, and, 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 and here's the extra promise, you'll have treasures in heaven. You said that's where you wanted to go. He says, so I'm giving you the, the tools and resources, the education that you need to ensure that when you get to heaven, that there's a, a mansion with your name on it. You came to me asking for eternal life because you knew that I was a good teacher. You knew I was a prophet. You knew I was a good man. And you knew that I was going to heaven after all that you know, heard about me. And so you thought that I could tell you. And now I'm telling you, and this is how you respond when I tell you what it's going to take for you to go to heaven. Because when you get there, you don't want to just be there. He says you can lay your treasures up in heaven. But here's why he went away sorrowfully. Because his, his, he thought he loved his neighbor by being nice and cordial. But the moment that he had to sacrifice something, Lord have mercy, for somebody else, uh-oh. The moment he had to cut some stuff out of his life in order to be a benefit or blessing to somebody else, uh-oh. You really want to know what it's like to love your neighbor? Do without for a little while so your neighbor can have. But he, his money was his security. That was his identity. That's why in a minute the disciples is like, wait a minute, this brother can't make it in. Who can make it in? Because they associated his wealth with righteous living. They, they prescribed to this theology that, it, that, that a sign of you living right was money and wealth and nice stuff and things. A sign that you, God was a blessing on your life was a sign was that you had money. But the truth be told, the closest followers of Jesus, when Jesus said, come follow me, he says, you ain't going to have a place to lay your head. I don't want you to take more than two pairs of clothes with you. And wherever house that you go to, if they're worthy of what you're going to speak over their life, then live off whatever they give you. It was never about them having a bunch of stuff that was an identifier that God's hand was on their life. It was this. Them, their proximity to Jesus. And so Jesus says, I need you to take your safety and security off of this stuff and come follow me because I can get you the stuff when you need the stuff. Lord have mercy. Y'all don't remember that. He taught that lesson in Matthew 6 and 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things 
shall be added unto you. Before that, he says, take no thought for what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He's not saying be irresponsible about taking care of yourself. What he's saying is stop stressing about stuff that you can't control. Stop stressing about stuff that contradicts what I want to do in your life. When you got to choose me or stuff, choose me. Because when you chase after stuff, you're leaving me. But when you chase after me, I'll have the stuff chasing after you. He says, I'll bring. So it's like, it's, it's almost like our, our eternity uh, uh, is really dictated and predicated, not when we get there, but by what we do here. We, we can't wait to worry about heaven when we get there. What Jesus is saying is, is that you prepare for heaven right now. He had put his trust in his possessions. And isn't it a trip? I told you this is going to be a little heavy, but it's good for you, though. It's kind of like castor oil. Just put, bite you a little mint, drink your little orange juice with it, and it'll go down just fine. But, but it's going to do you some good. Because ain't it a trip when we fall more in love with the thing that God has given us than we have with the God that gave it to us? Now, I'm not a self-righteous preacher as if I don't fall to this category. But what I am saying is we've got to be careful how we judge the rich young ruler because many times we do the same thing. God will bless us with a job and the first opportunity we get to cut God out of, the, out of our routine. <laughs> God gives us a car, money get a little tight. The first area we cut back in. I ain't talking about you. I'm just talking about, you know, the person that's sitting closest to you. Amen. I ain't talking about you, so don't look at me. I'm just saying it's easy. It's, easy. It's, it's, it's natural for us to fall in love, even with our kids. We, we pray and ask God and thank God for our kids. And it's amazing how the devil can use our kids to get us off track from where God wants us to be. But what God is trying to help him to see is that, that you are putting your eternal trust in the wrong thing. A sign of that when, when he, was when he saw God as a good teacher. So, so he walks away. He's like, if I got to give up all this stuff I've been working hard for, for the kingdom of God, I... Maybe, maybe heaven ain't what it was cracked up to be. If You mean to tell me that, that God may be calling me to, to sacrifice so that somebody else can have, so that his kingdom can have, so that his church can do? Maybe church ain't what I thought it was. I mean, when I needed a car and I got it, it was everything for me. When I needed a job and I got it, it was everything. But when I needed to give up something, mm, mm. He, he walks away sorrowful. Now, this, this, really, this really messed me up. Because he's, 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 I could tell that the richer, I hope that he finally got his stuff together and came back to Jesus later on and repented and, and, and he's in heaven one day. Because I want to ask him, because he walks away sorrowful, but yet he walks away holding his possessions. 
He walks away sorrowful, yet he's still holding on to his possessions. He wouldn't give up his possessions to get to heaven, but yet he's holding on to them and he's still sorrowful. Lord have mercy. That stuff won't give you what you think it's going to give you. The void that is in your life, your stuff and things will not fill it. And you will get the new job and be mad two weeks later. You'll get the man and be ready to leave him two weeks later. You'll get the money and be mad because it won't give you what you think it will because what you need can only come by being a follower of Jesus Christ. He gets it. He walks away sorrowful. I hope he got it together later. I hope he left church that day, even though he didn't give that day. He went home frustrated, and he couldn't get no sleep. This is what I'm hoping, that he couldn't get no sleep. (laughs) And he went online to give.wearemetro.org and said, you know what, the devil is, I'm not going to be missing heaven and frustrated at the same time. No, let me go ahead and get a Lord this. At least I'm going to be able to, I might not get what I thought I was going to get here, but oh my God, I might not get what I wanted right now, but a, but a misnomer that has been taught in the church for so long is that we've been told that our, our reward for obedience will come in the now. The devil is a lie. God doesn't always reward you now. Lord have mercy. See... <laughs> Back in the day, y'all don't know about this. This was when the country, when, when it was safe to walk to the store by yourself when you was like five or six years old. And me and my little cousins used to go to the store. And um, I, went, I went yesterday to try to find them at Target last night, but I couldn't find none um, because they don't really sell them like that. You got to be in the hood, in the hood to, to get these right here. But we used to go to the store, and you didn't need but about 55, 65 cents to get everything that you needed. Y'all, anybody know? Y'all, okay, y'all remember some of that. You ain't need but a little, get you a little 25 cent piece of candy, uh, 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 a fudge round, amen, and, and a 35 cent can of a Welch's grape soda, amen, and you were straight. And if you had a nickel or so left over, or if you had a couple of pennies, you, you could get these things, these things called, called, what we used to call penny candy. And what penny candy was, they would buy, they would buy a strip of candy that had a bunch of pieces in it. And instead of selling to you the whole strip of candy, they would break all the little pieces out of the pack and, and make it for sale for pennies. And, and, and my favorite penny candy was what we used to call um, now laters. And uh, yeah, they're, they're called now and laters for those of y'all who may not know, because I know you're going to Google it to try to figure out what you're talking about. But we used to call them now laters. Uh, the, the now laters. And, and, and the thing about it was they would be, they would be tough now. But if you keep chewing on them, they would be soft later. Lord have mercy. I came to tell somebody that if you go ahead and do right by the Lord now and serve God now and sacrifice now, it'll be tough now. But later when God gets ready to give you your reward, your treasures will be laid up in heaven. Everything that you thought you needed, God will sustain you. Oh, my goodness. He'll sustain you while it's tough. He'll keep you while it's tough so that you can enjoy, Lord have mercy, so you can enjoy the later, now laters. And so, so he walks away sorrowful. Then Jesus, and I'm done. Ah, uh, where are we at on the time? Where are we? Oh, Lord have mercy. I'm all, no, I'm too late. I'm way too late. No, I got to, I got to cut this out. In verse 23, verse 23, 
Jesus says this. He says, verily I say unto you, because now the rich man is gone, and, and, and he got his disciples with him. Okay, y'all, or y'all, y'all see it? So, so the, the disciples saw the rich man walk up to Jesus, and they've been watching how Jesus is going to handle this because they thought that the man was a man of God because of his wealth. You know, they subscribe to that same mentality. You know, they think if you drive a nice car, got a nice house, that means that God is on your life. But, but, but that's not always the case. It's the case sometimes, but not always. So they're looking and they're perceiving him to be a righteous man who comes to Jesus and asks about eternal life, what he needs to do to have eternal life. They see Jesus' response and says, listen, follow these rules. I've done that. I'm good. What's next? Uh, Okay, go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Then come come and follow me. Come be my disciple. I don't know. I'm sorry. They saw him be sorrowful and they saw him walk away. Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says to them, it'll be easier for a camel to make it through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to make it into heaven. I was watching, you know, his contract is it's, uh, free agency in the NBA right now. And uh, all these trades and all these big ballers, big uh, basketball players are making some big money, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, 30, 40 millions of dollars er- per year in that contract. And it's amazing. And I was listening to one of the uh, commentators and people, you know, of course, justifiable or not, people are saying, you know, these, you know, what kind of society are we living in where these guys are making all of this money, you know, making all of this money. And, and uh, they were talking about that in one of the segments. And, um, and, you know, somebody brought up, I guess he thought he was going to be spiritual, but, but I'm about to show you that he missed, he missed the point of this, of this message. Because one, 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 one player um, announced his retirement from not basketball, but from football. And he was making over $10 million a year. And he decided that he wanted to retire um, and leave football to focus more on ministry, on, on church. Yeah, real, 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 real story. Look it up. And, um, and so that became a big segment because the question that was asked, asked was, is this, is this professional life, this, this career as a professional NFL player, um, does, is it really that much difficult to do that in church at the same time? And, and they were making all these arguments. One of them brought up this passage that said, you know, the Bible does say it's, it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven. Or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And what he was saying, what he was putting the emphasis on is the more money you make, the more difficult it is to get to heaven. Right. That's what most of us have been taught. Right is the more money we make because logically it makes sense because you're, you're, you're exposed to more. You got access to more. You know, you got less people who can tell you no because you can buy your way in and out of stuff. You know, you can let your money do your work for you, right? That, that makes logical sense, but, 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 and it may be true, but that's, I don't believe that's biblically what this text is talking about. Can I tell you what this, te- this is talking about? What, what, what they saw riches, remember, as a sign of righteousness, meaning that if, if you had the ability to accumulate wealth, it was a sign of your righteousness, meaning not God's righteousness on you, but your righteousness, meaning that, that you became wealthy because of what your gifts, talents, and abilities were able to do. And, but the problem, and that very well may be true, um, even if you're not a believer, um, if you make wise decisions, if you work hard, if you do all the right things, good things are going to happen, right? Okay, all right, all right. So, so 
so they, but, but, but when believers saw that, they thought that, that he was not just smart and wealthy, but that he was also saved. And they started to draw this bridge between their own self-work in order to get salvation. Meaning that the same work that got him this wealth, the same hands and feet that got him this wealth would be the same hands and feet that got him this salvation. And what Jesus is saying is that if you think that your eternity is going to be determined by how good you can strike a hammer or how good you can make a dollar with your own strength, if that's the logic that you're using, it will be harder for a, rich, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than if that's the way you're going to get to heaven, it'll be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. If you think that you're going to get to heaven because of how good you are, it's less to do with the money, but, but how you're accumulating it through your own strength and your own might. And he's saying, if you think you can get to heaven by your own strength and on your own might, you have a better chance of getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Do y'all get that? It ain't got nothing to do with the money. It's anybody who think, because here's what I've learned over the years too, is it ain't just people with money that think that they say, there's people who got perfect attendance at church that think they say it's, it's people who can quote the most scriptures who think they say, and that's all good stuff. But again, you're focused more on your work, on your strength, on your neglecting of your family when you should have went to a football game and missed one Wednesday night. Lord have mercy. Uh, I won't get into all of that. But here's what I'm saying. That's still your strength. That's still your might. He says, if you think that's what it's going to take. See, see, Jesus has a way of getting the believer and the non-believer. Because sometimes a believer thinks just because he's been walking with Jesus for a while that he got a little better chance than everybody else. No, the devil is a lie. you just as bad off as everybody else. The difference is you're close enough to Jesus where you got access. And the righteousness that's on him is what's going to get you into heaven, not the righteousness of your own strength. Lord have mercy. That's good. That's good. Because sometimes I ain't righteous all the time. I don't think righteous all the time, but I'm glad that my eternity is not based on how good I am, but it's based on the goodness of God on my life. And when I get to judgment because I've been blood-bought and water-baptized, he doesn't see the sin that's on me, but I've been clothed in Jesus Christ. And so it's his righteousness that God sees, not my filth, not my bad mistakes, not my bad ideas, not my sin. He doesn't see any of that. But he sees Jesus. But when the disciples, I'm sorry, I went so over. I'll, I'll make it up next time. But his disciples look back and they said, Lord Jesus, oh, they were exceeding amazing, verse 25. They said, well, well, who in the world can be saved? <laughs> I mean, this righteous man did everything right except for sell his possessions. They didn't get it still. And so they asked the question, well, then who, who can be saved? And I think that's a better question than how do I be saved? Because when you ask the question, how do I be saved, then you, you're really leading yourself to think that you got something to do with it. There's a part that you have to play. Let's, let's, not, let's, not, let's not be literal, but, but let's be honest. You can do everything right and still miss a mark. 
That's why Jesus responds by saying, with men, with the strength of men, it's an impossibility. Who can get it in? Well, if, you, if you're waiting on a man to get you in, it's impossible. If a camel can't get through a needle, that's, that's the metaphor for you trusting in man to get in, trusting in yourself to get in. Now, please don't miss this. This is not you saying that you can live any kind of old irresponsible life and, and God is going to just wipe it all away. No, no, that's, that's not true because he didn't just say go sell everything you have and you're good. He says go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And then he didn't say that, that, that he didn't leave it as with men, it's an impossibility. He says, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, all things are possible. With God, whether you're poor but you're trying, all things are possible. Whether you're rich and got it together, but still going to come up short, all things are possible. Whether you're somewhere in the middle with God, all things are possible. Meaning that no matter where you are, because of who God is, all things are possible. All things are possible. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. Don't let that job have you thinking that God thinks less or more of you. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Don't let the amount of money you have have you thinking that God thinks any less or more of you. No matter what kind of house you live in, get a comfortable house, get a nice house, but don't ever confuse that comfortability that God thinks more or less of you. Hey, if you listen, if you're thugging it out and you got a one-bedroom shack, cool, live in it, max it out. But don't ever let anybody look at you and make you think that God thinks more or less of you. Amen. Be faithful right where you are, wherever you are, and stay connected to, the, to, to God. And, 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 and change your perspective and stop just looking at him as a good teacher or a good person that can give you three steps to, to riches and, and two steps on how to get a man and five steps how to do this. No, look at him as God who can take my mess and turn it into a miracle. Look at him at God who can take nothing and turn it into something. Look at it at God who can take the work that I do here, the sacrifice, the rough times, the hard times, and he can take that and use it to develop some treasures for me in heaven. I may not feel it. I may not see it. I may not even experience it right here, but I know I'm not going to live here forever. But there is a place I'm going to go where I'm going to live forever. And I need to make sure that while I'm here, I'm making treasures over there. Who's going to make it in? The people that make it in are the people who are following God who have put their trust in the Lord and who are obedient to what he wants to do in their life. I don't want to push you and challenge you today is to not take solace in the fact that you and God are good because of how good things are going. Take solace that you and God are good because you're doing your best, that you're a follower of him, that you're a disciple of him. But don't, don't let, don't let what, what, appears to provide comfort and stability here on earth cause you to lose sight of where your wealth really comes from. Because all of us, all of us 
will be pushed to a place where God will challenge us to live beyond ourselves and to give beyond ourselves. Now, the Holy Spirit has kind of led me to land this plane at this particular juncture. Is that, that you get a chance to dictate how God uses you. You get to decide that. All the rich young ruler had to do was say, cool, go sell it, man, I'm with you. It was his choice. And the beautiful thing about life is that God gives us, gives us all choices. And there's a choice that's, that's, that's going to come in the near future there's going to be choices that come in your life while you're on the job, while you're with your family, while you're with your friends. But there's also going to come a choice in the kingdom where we're going to be asked to give of ourselves, give of our resources. And, and I know this is heavy on a the, on the summer afternoon, but I just feel it in my spirit that I, I can't not press the amount of weight that was within the rich young ruler's response. That, that eternity was his. And when he was faced with the choice to grab hold of eternity or let go of his stuff, he just wasn't willing to make the exchange. And it's coming. I'm telling you it's coming. Personally, professionally, it's coming. As a church, it's coming. There's an opportunity for us to make the exchange. And I can't press upon us enough to understand the fact that when we make the exchange, we're not losing here on earth, but we're actually gaining in heaven that our treasures are being laid up in heaven.